Hi, my name is Tom Alston. I'm the founder and CEO of Aeromarine Tax Professionals. Here on the Winning Pitch Broadcast, I'm going to tell you how it is. I'll be sharing the ins and outs of business management, improving your sales skills, building personal and professional wealth, and balancing it all with your personal and family life, excluding the part about balancing it with your personal life. Don't expect a filter because we're about to rustle some feathers. Have fun. Welcome to this version of the Winning Pitch Podcast. I have with me two very special guests, Brandon Dawson and Natalie Workman. I'm one of their clients and they're helping me expand my business and I appreciate everything that they do. I've been to their house at a special event that we're probably not supposed to talk about, but we did it anyway because we'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission. But here are two people who have a message for you if you want to learn how to be successful. So Brandon, Natalie, whoever wants to go first, go ahead. Go for it, Brandon. Great. Well, we're just excited to be on your show. And let me ask you a question for your listeners, because you know them best. If there was three specific things you'd want them to hear, knowing our content and what we stand for and what we believe in, what would be the three things you'd want them to hear on your show? Uh, I'd want them to hear your walnut story, because it's something that's unique to you and it's something that's applicable to them. I'd want them to know about your trials and tribulations the things that you did wrong in business, the things that the lessons that you learned from it. I'd want to hear you about your big successful story with the 77 times EBITDA. I want you to take us on a journey that anyone who's listening to this can use it to inspire them to go on their own journey. That's awesome. So when I was in high school, I had to work in order to have enough money for gas and do the things I wanted to do. And I played football and went to a small Christian school that my parents barely had enough money to send myself and my brothers to each year. And the rule around the house was if I wanted to do something outside of what my parents provided for me, like cleats for football season, you know, basketball shoes for basketball season, a new glove for baseball season, martial arts equipment for training, whatever I wanted, I had to be able to earn the money to pay for that along with gas for the car. So one year, I would go to football practice, I would go to school, and then I would work as a busboy or at a tanning salon or whatever I could do to garner money. And in the summer, I'd buck hay and do things like that. So one year, it was my junior year, I got grounded because after work, I was sneaking over to a girlfriend's house before I'd come home and I had a curfew. So I got grounded. What girlfriend? Just a different... (laughs) Different girlfriend? I thought there were no girlfriends. Well, Maybe just a girl who is a friend. I love this when the two of you fight, and so does your whole audience. So keep it up. That wasn't a fight. We'll show you a fight. Yeah, for real. I got busted, and my dad and my mom were going out of town on a family vacation with my little brothers, who were pretty young. And they knew I had to stay home because I had football practice, school, and work. And so what they did is they thought they would ground me the week they were gone by making me pick the walnut orchard up. And it was a nasty job. Walnuts get all sloppy and you got to peel the husks open and they stain your hands. I hated walnut season, but my parents needed the $5,500 every single year to send us kids to the little Christian school we went to. And so that week, my parents went out of town. I was thinking, oh, I get to go see the girlfriend. I get to do whatever I want to do. Well, they grounded me because they knew they were going to fill my time with picking up walnuts. And so I went to school the day they went out of town. It was a Friday morning. I went to school that Friday morning, and I saw a note on the senior locker that the seniors had put on all the lockers saying they were trying to raise $1,000 for the senior class trip. And that was my first foray into being an entrepreneur. I had the idea. What if I could get some of the seniors to come out and help me pick the walnut orchard? And basically, at that point, I could maybe capture a couple days with the girlfriend because I get the walnut orchard done versus me doing it by myself. Sounds great. (laughs) So little did I know that the whole senior class was going to come and bring their family, bring their friends. And we picked that walnut orchard clean in about three or four days. And all of a sudden I had all this free time, but because I was a 2.4 GPA, I knew my parents needed to make $5,500 and I knew the senior class wanted a thousand. So I made up a price and lo and behold, all the senior class family bought all our walnuts. And so in that course of the week, I learned a lot of lessons from those stupid walnuts that I hated my whole life. 
Um, the first lesson was you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. You just have to be the most strategic. You just got to really think about how what your end result needs to be and find ways to accomplish that. But I generated $8,800 in the sales. And I learned a couple things that I want to share. Price is only an issue in the absence of value. Those parents bought all those walnuts, not because they wanted the walnut. They showed up, they helped pick the walnut orchard, and they bought the walnuts to show their kids that they love them. I think that's very important because when people are marketing their business and they talk about the what they do, the what they do, the what they do, nobody cares about what you do. They care about why you do it and then who you do it with and then how you do it. So as long as you know what you're doing works, you don't need to keep talking about the what. You need to talk about the how, the why, and the who, because that way people will be able to understand and relate to whatever it is you're doing and appreciate it. The second is price is only an issue in the absence of value. The more value you create in what you do, the less people will complain about price because it's not about price, it's about value. So the more you can present the value proposition to your business, to your employees, to the community, the less you'll be worried about being a price business. Price is only the issue in the absence of value is so important that he just said it was number one and number two. I don't know if you got that. You said the first thing you wanted to teach is price. There's three things that you got to know. The first two are the same thing. Price price and price. Important. (laughs) So sometimes the main thing isn't really the main thing. That's another lesson. You can do things you hate if it provides the path to creating something amazing for somebody else. And what the Walnut Orchard did is allowed parents to show their kids they're behind them and they love them. So sometimes people, especially entrepreneurs, get really frustrated working and they find they have disdain for what they're doing because it's hard, but that's because you're focused on the wrong thing. The right thing is the impact you can create in other people's lives by giving them jobs, by providing services to them. So focus on the outcomes of what you do and not on the thing that you're doing. So price is only an issue in the absence of value. The main thing doesn't mean you have to love it, but it can create all the other great elements from what you do. And the more people you throw at something that are aligned with the objective, the bigger, better, faster, more value you're going to create in the process of doing it. So those three key elements I learned from the walnut orchards, and I've carried them through in my business life, which allowed me to go out and do some pretty remarkable things in my life. My favorite part of that story is the third part, which is if you don't have the people involved with the big mission, you're really missing out on how big your mission can be. And so many people, especially small business owners, we talk to small business owners each and every day, hundreds of them each and every day. And when we're talking to them, they oftentimes forget that the thing that they need to focus their people on is the mission. And to the extent that they can continue to push that to their people, it expands and it spreads and the mission can become bigger, but your mission stays small when you don't really think about how many people you need to truly get whatever the outcome or result that you're looking for. No great business was ever created by any one person. It takes a team. And so, and some interesting statistics, Tom, that you've heard me talk about quite often because I think they align perfectly with the challenges business owners have. There's 31 and a half million small to mid-sized businesses in the United States. 25 million of those businesses have a single employee, which is the person that founded and started the business. Two-thirds of all those businesses are going to fail within the first five years. And the three chief complaints for failure is, number one, no demand for my product or service. Number two, I can't find great people to help me build my business. Or I can't find any people that are worth hiring, which is just a horrible complaint. The third is... I can't find money to support my business initiative. And all three of those complaints, if you listen to Grant Cardone, boil down to somebody's unwillingness to be so behind whatever they're doing, they're willing to go all out and promote it. And so where there's a lack of commitment, there'll be a lack of success. And I think that people say they want to be in business, but what I find is most business owners don't go into business because they're moving to something they're inspired about. They're usually going into business because they're moving away from something they don't want to do. They don't want a boss. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. They don't like to have to be accountable to anybody. So they carry that into their business and then they treat future employees, which we were talking about, you need a team, you need an army to help you conquer because the battles are going to get hard. And if you're by yourself, you're just no way you can stand up to the pressure. 
But because you carried the things you moved away from into your business, now you have that mentality and mindset in your business, which means you push away all the good people that could help you because fundamentally what caused you to make and create your own business is the very thing that you're thinking other people are going to be like you. And the good people, especially you think you're going to lose them as soon as they get good, become key man dependent. So it's really super important for business owners to recognize their strengths and their weaknesses and to find a mentor find somebody who can help them overcome their weaknesses and and really lean into their strengths and give them the tools and the resources and the concepts necessary to grow and scale their business. Okay. Now I hear you talk about, because I'm on quite a lot of your calls about this rule of three and the way that I duplicate it. And I think I'm actually duplicating it wrong is if you have a single job and I'm going to train them, hire two people and train them simultaneously because we all know that at least one of them is going to leave pretty quickly and it'll be. Or we know that you don't know how to train people. So, you know, the only way you get good at something is doing it a lot and understanding where your strengths are and understanding where your weaknesses are. If you hire two people and you bring them both in and you don't duplicate anything successful and you lose both of them, are you a victim of the two employees or are you a victim of the fact that you don't know how to hire talent? It could be, I don't know how to hire. It could be, I don't know how to train. It could be, I don't know how to follow up, but it's always about me. Yeah, but most business owners will not make that concession. They'll be a victim of circumstance. So the thing is, is that if you hire one person, you don't get that reflection because you don't know, was it you? Was it them? And if you do spend all this energy and time training one person and then you become key man dependent, then you're trapped. So if that person leaves, you're really in trouble. So you have to learn to build the cash reserves. So my modeling for teaching people how to build scalable value-based businesses is the three Ps, which is promote. If the number one complaint is there's no demand for the product or service, it's not because no one's stupid enough to start a business and risk everything unless they're just so pissed at where they're at, they're moving away from where they want to be and they use the excuse. Just don't ever say no one because we all know that people have done that. (laughs) This is a reflection point. If you did do it and it didn't work, then you have to own that it's why. So it's just common sense that if there wasn't a demand or wasn't a need, why would somebody start a business? So you can't really use that as an excuse for failure. The second thing is it's because they never learn to hire people, attract them and show them how they can succeed. And then the third reason is if you can't do that and you can't sell your own product or services, you're certainly not going to get investors to invest in you or a bank to loan to you. So all those are excuses for not learning to do the number one P, which is promote. Promote, promote, promote. If you can't promote yourself, you can't promote your product or services, you can't promote the reason people should work for you, you can't promote the opportunity to those people, and you can't promote to a lender or a financial investor the value proposition you're going out to create, your unique sauce that makes you successful, then you're going to fail. And so you just have to own that that's your fault. So promote. Then profit. You got to learn to be able to generate money. If you can't generate a profit, you're never going to teach somebody else to out-profit what you did as the founder. So you got to own the fact that it's your responsibility to promote and then create a profit. Then process the third P. You got to be able to document how to promote, why to promote, what to promote, who to promote, when to promote, and then what to do when the promotion works, how to communicate, how to talk to people, and how to close a transaction. Otherwise, How are you going to train anybody else? So you can't be a victim of people not learning to do that. If you don't know how to do it, you can't show them to do it. Because the multiplier on the three Ps, promote, profit, process, is people. And you can't add people to an equation where they don't know how to succeed. So you can't be a victim of never being able to hire great people because the truth is you've never created a system for great people to follow to succeed. And the true definition of leadership is making other people's success easy. So you have to own that. And 25 million businesses out of 31 and a half are still trying to figure that out. Yeah, I completely got you. I'm embarrassed to say that, but I have been there and I've always wanted to have a lot of people around. It's like, I don't know if you know this, but I coached high school baseball for four decades. So I'm a a coach in terms of liking to do things with team. I'm not much of of an athlete. I've never been an athlete, never had any desire to be an athlete. So. I get what you're saying. For me, I never translated that in the way that I thought about things. And I appreciate guys like you and Grant calling me out on it because somebody needs to. I need those coaches too. So We all need coaches in our life. That's what I appreciate about Grant. That's why I elevated to Grant because a lot of the mentors, it's not a, let's see, I want to say this the right way. 
it's not a brag or an egotistical position, but those people back in 1996, 97, and 98 that I so admired and still admire today that were my mentors, in a lot of cases, I've elevated beyond what they did that made me so excited to learn from them. And a lot of them, you know, I remember setting my target when I was 27 that a lot of my mentors are between 50 and $60 million in net worth. And I thought that was a lot of money. Now, all of a sudden, I find myself being worth almost $100 million and I need to find new mentors. So I set a target that I wanted to be worth a half a billion dollars. And so that was part of my criteria and who I was looking that I wanted to work with. And Natalie and I went through a lot of different ways to find the right kind of mentors when we landed on Grant and Elena Cardone, because they exemplified, we wanted to do something as a couple. We wanted to be able to target a half a billion dollar net worth as our next goals. And we wanted to be able to do it with someone that we could align with that was already doing something remarkable, who is a great example, but most importantly, willing to teach. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we landed. Those were three very specific criteria. And it had to be in alignment with our morals and ethics and ambitions. And they hit every one of those targets for us. So we created the conditions to meet Grant and Elena, build a relationship, and now we're their business partners. Cool. So who else did you look at at that time? The truth of the story is we weren't looking. I was looking. Well, I was looking at all my private equity guys. I was going the traditional business route. same goal, which was to create the next business that we could do together. But we came about it in two different paths that ended up being the perfect ideal marriage. One, his path was to go through this research and he hired research. Two research, spent a million and a half dollars researching all these different industries, all the different verticals, all the power players in those verticals and the private equity groups that were interested in those verticals so that I understood what the big picture could look like and who was incentivized and aligned with making those things happen. And we were Did down Grant and Elena come up in that research? No. Mm-mm. Okay. Didn't. That was the traditional business okay. research. Thank you for pointing that out because where Grant and Elena came was my methodology. But again, they all ended up taking us to the path that we're on, which is the ideal scene. But I started looking at what are people out in the social space doing in order to capture attention and how are they sharing their brand and creating an audience that's loyal. And the people that we were looking at, there were a variety of them. There were people in the marketing space. There were people in life coach and development space. And as much as we enjoyed the content, it wasn't fruitful from the standpoint that they didn't have a real business audience that also needed the services that we could provide, which is the ability to help businesses scale and grow. Some of them offered a little bit of that and were already toying with it. And we didn't want to have to uproot anything that was existing. And we also had already created our own methodology through the businesses that Brandon has founded and that I've worked with him in for many years. So how important was it to you, Natalie, that it was a couple? It wouldn't have stopped us if it was just one personality. However, if Grant and Elena wouldn't have been a couple, we would have passed on them. And I think that that's a good takeaway for any couples who happen to be in business and there's one lead and the other person is in a support role, whether that's male, female, or vice versa, the couple aspects adds a different element. It adds a different place of connection for people in the business. And so Grant, when I first came across him, I was not interested. The books that you have behind you, he's sitting on an airplane. I thought that he was over the top and aggressive and had a lot of ego. But then I found Elena through a different avenue and I fell in love with her and him through her eyes and through the way that she showed the family. And so when you think about building a brand, you very much have to take all of the experiences that you have and your kids, or if you have stepkids, or if you have a wife or a girlfriend, whatever that looks like, and use the things in your life to be able to promote your business. So it wouldn't have been a no-go for us, but I wouldn't have actually found him if it wasn't for her. And she said, you need to look at Grant Cardone. And she put on YouTube video and I watched it for maybe 30 seconds. And then I turned it off and I said, I'm a traditional business guy. I'll never, ever, ever like do any of this stuff. And it turned me off. Then she made me listen to the 10 rule in a three hour car ride. And after 15 minutes, I started laughing. I said, this guy knows exactly what he's talking about. 
But if it wasn't for Natalie pushing me because of she aligned with Elena and saw a different side of Grant than he portrays in some of his social media, I'm a traditional business guy. Everything I've done has always been very traditional. It's been very closed. It's been one-on-one. Although I've impacted thousands of lives, it's always been on my private channels. All my videos were in my own spot. And I work very closely with business owners and stuff. And so it was a big pivot for me. Like you've watched my social media in 18 months has gone from zero to <laughs> I'm, I'm on four, five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 times a day posting stuff. And it's, and I'll say to people, that's the promote side that I didn't understand. Promote, 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 promote yourself, promote your ideas, promote your family, promote the people you love, promote the people you work with, promote the people that work with you. Like if you're not going to go out and talk about that, nobody else is going to talk about it for you. And nothing great happens when people are irrelevant. Yeah. So relative to Grant, first of all, Natalie, I think there's some similarities to the guy sitting to your left and Grant in the things that you talked about, about airplanes and, and that kind of stuff. Do you agree with that, that? Yeah, but that's, I've always wanted my, so one of my first mentors. He wasn't asking you, he was asking me. I know. That was not a question for you. <laughs> no, I was going to answer it anyway. Go for it. What were you going to say? It is today because we modeled, that's that model mimic and master. master. Yeah. So I, my, my first mentor who took a business, see, I started my first public company. It was eight cents a share in Canada. And then I brought it down when I was 29 and put it on the American Stock Exchange. Well, one of my mentors started his company at eight cents a share in Canada. And when he sold it, he sold it for 6.9 billion to Vivendi. So to me, and then he rolled up K2 Sports. And so I was almost doing that with him. I was so close. He was a strong mentor of mine. Great example. And I remember the first time I flew on his airplane with him and I said to myself, one day I'm going to be successful enough. I can have my own airplane. Now, when I sold my business and I had the money to buy an airplane because I was too conservative to do it because I was like, we're not making enough money. I don't want to fund it out of my own pocket just for the sake of having it. So we, one of the targets we said is let's build a business that will afford us the ability to have an airplane. And we actually, on her birthday, you want to tell the story? Well, I want to get back to his question. His question is the difference between you and Grant. I was Grant. trying to avoid that. He goes all like I this. know. I was trying to move Here's away the from deal. it. Here's the deal and what I've learned from being able to watch Grant and Brandon interact. They're both very strong in their respective spaces. They are 99% similar compared to the whole population the two of them have more similarities than they have differences. However, that 1% is nuanced and Grant has a certain way of being because that's what he knows in order to be successful. Brandon has created success in that 1% in a different way. And so they actually clash in a fun way, not you know seriously, but they actually clash quite a bit and they will poke fun at each other for the methodologies that they use. Brandon's very people-oriented. He has a lot of emotion around the success of business owners and being able to really help them. And that is not Grant's wheelhouse. Although he has the same mission. It's just he doesn't express he doesn't express it the same way. But they they seem to think that they're very different. If you ask Grant how different he and Brandon are, he would say, Oh, we're very different. Brandon's a softy and a mushy and all of that. And but in reality, they're incredibly similar. You are a little softy. Well, what's funny is I told you when I first saw him, it turned me off. I didn't want anything to do with it. But as I've gotten to know him and as I model, mimic, and mastered, and as I spent a lot of very personal time with him talking about things that are not expressed publicly and just getting to know them, there's a lot of similarities between us. And I have a lot of admiration for certain. And that's a yeah. good example to me. If you can't admire that part of Grant, then I think there's something wrong with it because it's such well, a the law of mirror. It's a John Maxwell law, because when you look in the mirror, the reflection that comes back to you is your reflection. So mm-hmm. when people look at Grant and then they reflect back, they're like, they're so pushed away from it because they lack commitment or understanding. And I conceded that that was my first thing. He's not like me. He doesn't present like me. Therefore, I'm going to move away from it versus what makes him different? What makes him unique? Why does he do it? And what can I learn from it? I think that when people inject their own ego into moving away from things that make them uncomfortable, it's because they're moving to mediocrity. They're not moving to growth. Mm-hmm. 
Got it. So if you had to claim one thing, what's the largest impact that you know that you've had on Grant? For me, I think opening his eyes up about how big by working together, doing what I do and what he does, I think I've expanded his perspective about together what we can go do as as a team. He's moved from wanting to create a multi-billion dollar fund and sell it to a major conglomerate to I'm going to build a multi-billion dollar fund. Brandon's going to build a multi-billion dollar business with businesses. And we're going to take the whole thing public ourselves. And we're going to bring everybody with us. And I think I've expanded his perspective about what can be done on the business front, where he's expanded my perspective of what can be done on multiple fronts, but most importantly, what he's doing with the real estate business and what is possible. He's definitely significantly expanded my mindset about what's possible and how fast it's possible. I also think that we have restored Grant and Elena's belief in bringing on partners and using partners as an expansion methodology. When you get to be their size, they have people who are pitching them every single day and they've had things that they thought were a good idea and they've been very burned by those things. And so for two people who were strangers 18 months ago to be able to come in and ethically be able to add to their environment on top of having financial success and really succeeding with the venture is allowing them to maybe rethink that partners are a great thing and we should go acquire more of them because it does help in the expansion of the empire and all that they are building. So how did you close that deal? Because I know in the past they've had, as you brought up, not great success with partners. So what did you bring to that conversation to make them want to be partners with you. I would love to tell this story. So in the original- So Brandon, you have to be quiet. Yes, Brandon gets to be quiet. In the original, I think it would go like anything for Grant and Elena. You know, Brandon specifically spearheaded the idea of what if we could add a billion dollar net worth to your existing net worth through partnering with these businesses. And Grant kind of entertained it. And there were a variety of conversations over a couple of months. But Grant's process for determining whether or not a good idea is valid is letting people decide through their purchasing power. So Grant invited Brandon to speak and to pitch. Grant didn't know what he was going to pitch. Grant had never heard Brandon speak before. And he invited him to a boot camp in March of 2019. And at that boot camp, Brandon crushed it. He gave a 90 minute. I was there. You were there. That was the first time, like Grant even said he wasn't going to be there and he was sitting in the back of the room. And we had a successful meeting. There were 25 business owners that trusted us to move forward with that product. And so Grant continued to let the stats be what was the measurement of if this was going to be successful or not. And we just, you know, We've been doing this consistently every single month over month. And the one thing that's built confidence is the number of people that have gone back to Grant saying that we trusted these guys, we worked with them, and here's the success in the business. Grant has said to me, he's never been more excited about what we're able to do to help people collectively. And it's creating a better environment, better culture, and better act, uh, better engagement with the clients we work with, like you. Because I do things that nobody else does. And Grant has never had a partner that is, you know, I built a system for 20 years that I've perfected through thousands of people, but I kept it within my own group. And I spent all that money on research, millions of dollars to identify all the different industries that we could help. So I went into it with science and data. I had already built the platforms. I spent over $10 million building, trademarking, patenting, building technology. So I knew that I had built the engine. I just wasn't sure how to take it to hundreds of verticals simultaneously. And that's where we landed with them. And, you know, it's a big story and it'd be easy for Grant to think that we were full of it because he's been pitched a lot of things, but the proof is in the pudding and he continually sees the results month over month, over month, over month. And then he talks to the people like you and here's how it's impacting you. And for him, it's a strong sense of pride to bring this to people because he really does want to impact people. I remember we were at a boot camp in Colorado and a couple of people started sharing. Grant was sitting there about what's happened to their businesses working with myself and the team and Natalie and Cardone training. 
together and what's happening. And he actually, for as much as he calls me a crybaby, a softie, he literally started sitting there wiping his eyes and everyone's like, are you crying? He was just so full of pride for how much we're able to help people collectively. And when you have people investing in Cardone Capital and they're secure in their returns and you have people investing in our relationship and their businesses are growing by 20, 30, 40, 50% or we're saving the businesses or we're saving families. You have people on training that are growing at 10, 20, 30% through their team members and evolving team members to a high level of success. You start to feel that momentum. You start getting your passive income checks. You start generating more active income that you like, wow, I went from being scared I might go out of business to making more money I've ever made. And your people are coming along and training and evolving and driving more. And those mechanics start working together. It's really hard not to get just so full of excitement. And we've got enough tenure now with the success with the businesses we're working with because we measure where they started their relationship and every single month where they're going after that. The numbers never lie. And when you look at the aggregate stats of all the activity, he's just blown away, so excited. And then you look at his stats with what he's able to do by being the number one crowdfunding raiser in the globe, finding great deals and raising capital for average ordinary people that would otherwise never have access to those investment vehicles. It's just such a great partnership. And we're just so full of joy and excitement and enthusiasm about what the future holds that everyone here is just, I mean, you see us, our activity every single week, we're pushing and going somewhere. That's why we needed that plane that you asked about. But I didn't buy that plane. I sat down with Grant and I said, you know, I'm scared to buy this plane, but here's my rationale. And he said, he said, it's not something that you're buying. After discussing, he says, you're not buying this because it's an ego thing. You're not buying it. It's a tool for your business. And I take my staff, we fly 10, 12, 15 people in, we do our work and I get them home to their families. And so otherwise we wouldn't be able to do probably 60% of what we do. We wouldn't be able to do it if we were all hopping around commercially. And we run the risk of our teams getting sick. We've made it to every hotspot during Corona, traveling every single week in Dallas, Florida, Arizona, California, Denver, every hotspot. And our team has stayed together and nobody on our team has gotten sick. And so by keeping them on the airplane, keeping them out of other environments and keeping us all together, we've been able to go out and do this for six months without having a single situation where anybody's gotten sick or anything. I have a story I need to tell you. I remember watching a video and you and Grant were just talking to each other. And I remember I was watching Grant really closely and I realized he was actually listening to you. And I saw him see the future. I saw him go, aha, I never thought of that. And I need to acknowledge both of you about making that happen for him because I'm a devoted Grant Cardone follower. I will do anything that he asks me, including jump off the Golden Gate Bridge if he asked me to, but on the way down, I'd probably change my mind. But you have had, I saw that happen and I showed it to my wife, Julie, who you guys met. And I said, look at that. Right there, Grant's listening to him. Right there, he just made a decision. I saw it happen. And I've been waiting for that to happen for him for a long time. And so has he. So I want to acknowledge both of you for doing that. And thank you very much. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, you know, you can't just take from people. you got to be committed to giving back. Yep. So one of the questions I want to ask you is that we are talking about your business, and it's my fault. We've done a lousy job of promoting Cardone Ventures. So the business is Cardone Ventures. What I'm really interested in is what each of you, what is your role in that business? Brandon is the visionary and the pusher in the business. Brandon shows up every single day. In the morning, he role plays with the team. He is on the phone with clients. He's much more out there and present with getting this brand known. And that is a huge asset because he gets to talk to partnerships. He gets to explore where expansion really is going to come for this business. My role is much more of the integrator. So when Brandon is role-playing with the team, I'm in the background making sure that everybody has access to the things that he's role-playing and making sure that everybody is followed up with on the exact requirement that, hey, we do role-play every morning and this is why, to instill that culture that not just expands, but also is understanding and coming alongside Brandon can be very hard at times, and I like to think of my role as sometimes softening him, but then 
sometimes it's my role to be hard on our team. And then he comes behind and, and softens when, when that. I think my role, I'm the strategy person. I mean, I built these concepts from scratch. I'm the one that's been deploying them for, you know, 20 years on a mission. I've had this goal and dream of multi-vertical support since 2009. I've paid research in 2009, 2014, 2016. I've been on this hunt for a long time. So when it comes to setting the strategy, setting the pace in which we're going to execute, creating the programs that I know will create the value that the issue I have is there's so much opportunity in doing that. Somebody on the other side has to integrate and operationally execute and hold the team accountable to the principles and the core values that we've established. because. Although I'll do that, I consider myself more like what you talked about. I'm the coach. I'm going to get in your face and push you as far as I can, because if I can't stretch you as John Maxwell, stretch the rubber band, John Maxwell law, my job is to stretch everybody's rubber band. Her job is to make sure those rubber bands don't break. And so the follow through and follow up and preciseness in which things need to mechanically happen and the data that needs to, her job is to work with the teams to make sure the things I commit to and the vision I've established executes flawlessly, or at least they have a plan to execute flawlessly behind the scenes on that. And because she's been with me so long and understands the concept, she helped. She was on the design team for many of these concepts seven, eight years ago. She's followed the iterations through multiple companies. She knows what I want and what her commitment to me is. You don't have to worry about that. I'm going to make sure they do that while you continue to press as hard and as fast as you can. At the growth side, I will take care of the undercarriage and make sure it's fortified and supported. And that she's responsible for bringing every single team member and making sure they're aligned, there's awareness and understanding, and that they execute to the things that are held responsible, but also all of them have their personal, professional, financial goals aligned with the success of the business. That's her job. I very much so, figure out how, how yeah. it all functions. So, Brandon, do you think you're too hard on people? I am a why guy. So you know me to know that I will have nothing to do with drainers. Anybody that complains, makes up excuses, tries to sabotage, the moment I hear it, they're done. They're out. Watchers have no room for watchers. They'll sink your ship and they'll defer and deflect and they won't contribute and they're out. Reckless doers, I have no room for reckless doers. And so when someone does something and they come back with the result, I'll be the first one to look them straight in the face and say, what happened at that moment that you made a decision to do that? What was your rationale? What was your thinking? And if it's broken, I'll support on correcting it until they do it again. And then they're out. I'm interested to hear your answer. Do you so my answer is <laughs> that if you're a drainer, a reckless doer, or a watcher, I'm overbearingly hard on you. If you're a thinker that has good or poor thinking, I'm going to be hard on you. If you're a good thinker and a good doer and a good thinker doer and a good doer thinker, I'm going to be hard on the circumstances that will allow you to evolve and get better. But I'm not going to be hard on you as a human being because I need you. So yes or no, do you think so you're I too can, hard on people? If you're a drainer. If you're a watcher or a reckless doer, can I answer? I'm going to be overbearing. You're, you're, I'll give you a chance, Natalie. You're going around. Go ahead, go, go ahead finish, Brad. <laughs> no, I'm being very clear. You're just not listening. No, I see the ins and the outs of every single team interaction. And there are moments that he could be less hard on somebody in the group setting. Mm-hmm. We talk about this, but he can't help it. Like in that moment, if there's an issue, he addresses it, doesn't care who's around. But I don't think that he's ever too hard on somebody. It just could be transition. I'm too hard. I'll be too hard on people. If I lose confidence in you, I'm going to ratchet up how hard I am on you. But that's not because you're too hard. I think that you're appropriately hard. You never go across the line. You never push somebody past what their potential is. No, my job is to push people to hard. their potential. Yeah. And if I if I come across... So when you say hard on people, I'm very direct. My attitude is I'm a surgeon. I'm a battle surgeon. Every single moment counts. Therefore, I don't have time for the stories. I don't have time for the excuses. I don't have time for the BS. I don't have time for the meandering around. I want the direct answer to the direct question to solve the direct issue to make sure we're all aligned. And some people feel that's being very hard. And the lower my confidence is you, the more I'm in your space 
until I determine that I can't trust you. And when I can't trust you, you're out. So some people would say that's so harsh to me. It just is what it is. Okay. So I'm going to interpret what you just said and say, no, you don't think it's a big softy. What you're doing is applying what you think is the correct action to correct that human being, whether it's remove them or fix them. So your answer was no. Natalie, is Brandon too hard on people? No, he's not. Okay. Just uh, sometimes they think I am. Delivery method could be tweaked. It's effective though. Yeah, well, it works for you. And I will tell you that I respect you for that. Like in Vancouver, where you put that father and son together and you made them have a communication that they needed to have, you know, that was probably very uncomfortable for them, but it needed to happen because... And that's where as the watchers, the drainers, or the reckless doers, when they see that, they say, I'm a hard ass. They come up with all the reasons to excuse away. Instead of just drill, addressing something and confronting it and moving through it, going to the other side, because that's what people want. They don't want to be stuck. And, and a lot of people get stuck because they're unwilling to confront the hard questions. Yeah, I tell people, don't apologize, just fix it. If I correct someone, I'm sorry. Of course you're sorry. You didn't mean to do that. Just fix it. You don't even need to waste the words with me. Just fix it. Don't do it again. I mean, that's how I try to deal with people. And I'm like you in that I push my people, but I'm also internally very much a softy. So it's, I'm in conflict a lot of times. And you guys know Julie. She's the driver in our relationship. I'm an influencer, but I can be very direct with people. And I try to be all the time. Don't tell me that. You know, it's not true. How do you know it's not true? Because I've been there before and I know what you're doing and I can see inside your soul and, you know, use up any answer that you want. But, you know, as a coach, I think I have an obligation to help people reach their potential and I can't reach their potential if in my experience I observe them not doing something that is harming them and it's my job to call them out on it. And, you know, I'm sorry, I don't really care if it hurts your feelings. And that really is kind of how I see, actually, I see both of you that way. And that probably would shock you a little bit, Natalie. But I expect that from both of you. And I just thought I should tell you that as a relationship goes forward. I don't mind being corrected. It's uncomfortable as shit. So what? You know, I'm learning how to get better. You know, I'm old enough to be your dad, but that's okay. You know, you've been some places that I haven't been. You have some experience that I'm interested in acquiring and making part of my beingness. So I appreciate that from both of you. Well, we appreciate that you trust us to do that. Absolutely. I think you know this, but I've just recently hired Buck too. I've added him to my... Good for you. But well, I'm not pouring enough stuff in the top of my funnel that I have enough to do for all the people that I do. And I've changed my mindset recently to hiring people before I can afford them because basically I understand now that people are free if they don't produce some bump or lift in revenue or in the efficiency of the organization. I'm changing my mind about a lot of things that I've always done. And I appreciate not only Grant and Elena, but I appreciate the two of you so much. And I appreciate Richie Dolan and the licensee program because I like to be constantly challenged. You don't have to give a shit about how I feel about it. Because if I don't like it, I'll fucking tell you. <laughs> you know, we can be honest with each other. And that's what I 100%. appreciate. If you could go back, and this one is for you, Brandon. So there's no time limits. And Natalie, you got to be quiet. You got to let him answer this. All right. If you could go back and do one thing in your life different, what would it be? I would have asked a couple of my mentors a very strategic question in 1999 that cost me probably 50 to $100 million because I made a poor choice because I did not seek guidance and counsel. So I made the decision for the wrong reasons that at the time I thought were the right reasons, but I didn't have enough experience to know what I should have done. And had and it's a very specific situation that came up. And I was trying to appease my largest investors, but my investors that gave me the money to start my business and me in the ass a few years later. And had I gone to them and said, here's the choices I have and seek guidance, I know they would have, knowing where I'm at today, where they would have pointed me in a business I created that went from zero to a million and a half dollars a month of pure profit in 36 months. But my public board of directors said they didn't want me to put that inside the company and I could own that outside the company because they didn't believe in it. But I saw it, I knew it. 
but I had a handful of investors in that gave me the money early on. And I should have gone to them and said, hey, they don't want this to be in the company. They don't believe in it. I believe in it. I'm going to give you equity proportionate to what you originally invested with me in this new co. And I'm just going to own it with you guys. Instead of keeping it inside the company, I did exactly what the board told me not to do, believe it or not. I kept it in the company and it created all the value in the company. So when they sold it, they took all the money. And I'm the one who created it as a byproduct of something else I was doing. Had I gone and sought guidance from my four or five inner circle people and said, here are my choices, what should I do? They would have said, set it up in a separate company. And they would have won with me. So I cost them and me tens of millions of dollars by making a choice, trying to be friendly with my investors because I didn't realize they had a different agenda than I had. Not my investors as the individual high net worth people, but the institutional investor that had 53% of my company. So they got the 100% of the benefit of this newly created thing. And I and the people that gave me the seed money to start my business got none. And so I regret that one making that one bad choice. And, but yet that's fueled me to help business owners not make those bad choices ever again. And I've saved so many business owners a heartache and created so much value for people just by being able to reflect and listen to them and express to them some of my poor decisions that cost me significantly. That's the one thing I would change is that one singular moment in time. Everything else, I would never change anything. So the hard question is, would you have listened? I would have listened. I thought about asking the question and then I just went with my own gut as to what I thought should be right. But I always listened to those guys. Uh, I listened to them today. They're all still my best mentors. Were you smart enough or have enough experience to know that you should have listened to them? That's the wrong question. Why was I closed off enough that I shouldn't have asked them the question? I would have listened to them, but I didn't ask them the question. I went against my intuition. Every time, this is a lesson for everybody. Every time I go against my intuition, I lose. I found that to be true in 72 years. Every time I don't trust my gut, it's a fuck up completely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What would be the one thing you'd change? That's what I was getting ready to ask her. Not me though, right? It's not me. Yeah, and you have to be quiet, Brandon. I made a decision that changed my life when I was in my early 20s to be with this guy. And for five years, the fear that surrounded that decision entirely stunted my growth and my confidence and my ability to create and push things forward. I think that if I would have chosen to get past some of the limiting beliefs that I had, we would have found the success through the business prior to Cardone Ventures. And I would have saved a lot of time not having clarity and creating a lack of clarity for the people in my environment. So I feel lucky that I'm 27 and now have that clarity, but I wasted four years of creating and developing and being confident that I can't get back and undo that wasted time. What was the valuable thing that you learned now that you're looking back at it and you went through all that? What was the valuable lesson that's helping propel you forward that you learned by doing that? You know, it's something that he just indicated. When he was 28 years old, he started a public company and he didn't have fear about starting that at 28 because he had confidence in himself. And so what I would have done different is I would have actually made decisions to put myself out there to receive criticism because I didn't care because I knew who I was. I would have been more whole and more able to take losses because I ultimately knew that I was going to be making gains. And so I would have done started creating more social content at the time. I would have created and launched a business that I was excited about, but just too nervous and worried about what other people thought back then. You know, it's interesting because if I was to describe almost what she said from my watching this, her being disrupted, she was always working around the issues instead of hitting them head on because she didn't want to be accused. She didn't want the judgment that she's too young. How could she know better? We don't like her. So that influencer side of her, she would always kind of press in just enough to where the heat would get applied and then she'd back herself out. But then she would make herself insecure because nothing would happen. 
and there'd be no conclusion. And so this time around, one of the commitments we both made to each other is that we're all locked, loaded, and in. And when we apply pressure, it's for a reason. And if the people around us can't take the pressure, we need different people. Good decision. I applaud both of you. Now, you're in Cabo, and as, as far as I know, you were supposed to get married this weekend, right? That's correct. That's correct. I think I know the answer to this, but I got to ask, what caused you to postpone it? She's questioning her, her love. <laughs> I've been together for years. It has nothing to do with us. It's because of COVID. We were going to get married in Mexico and asking all of our guests to fly down here and to coordinate all of this during the past six months did not seem like the right use of our energy and effort. So we found that into the business instead. And it was a phenomenal decision. And I'm actually very thankful that it happened this way. Yeah. And we've just scheduled it for next year, same time. Mm -hmm. I used to live in Baja for several years. I lived in La Paz, which is only a two hour drive from where you're at. And I love La Paz. I love Baja. I love the people. I remember the very first time that I ever went to Cabo, it was a older, very sleepy little town. Everything was all rusty. And then I went back a couple of years later and Orange County South had happened. You know, there was millions of boats there. There was lots of restaurants. And at first I thought, damn, they've ruined this place. And then I realized that the people that lived there, that was jobs. To the people that lived there, that was progress. So I supported it. And yeah. I wound up in La Paz because it's, you know, have you guys ever been to that city? We've not been there, but we've got friends that live there. So we know it's nice and sleek and beautiful. Yeah, I, the very first time I drove over there, it was like, you know, pardon the reference, it was like taking quaaludes. You can just feel it. It's The reason it's called La Paz, which means the peace, is because the Russian whaling ships used to go into the Sea of Cortez in, in the bad weather times, and they named that bay La Paz. So, I mean, La Paz is a great little city. It's 300,000 people. It's the capital of Baja, California, sir. And no, I'm not being paid by the Mexican government to do a promo for Baja. But I often do because I used to walk around the streets at three or four o'clock in the morning and people think that you can't do that in Mexico. And Well, if you go to some place that you don't belong, then you shouldn't be walking around the streets at three or four o'clock in the morning. But exactly. in La Paz, they have a separate police force for the tourists. They wear all wear white. And, you know, I'll try to get off of my... Uh, my soapbox. Yeah. But I try to go back to La Paz every year, but I always fly Southwest Airlines and they're not flying there now. So Yeah. Well, that's the value of having your own plane is we can get in and out of anywhere we want, whenever we want, which we love that freedom and we work hard for it. Absolutely. You know, Tom, we have another uh, podcast that we need to do here at 1130. So I've already run over time. So I for it time. Yeah. So I would like you to Promote yourself a little bit right here. Give contact how people can reach either one of you, telephone, email, websites, sure. however you want to do yep. that. So it's really simple. You can find us at CardoneVentures.com, CardoneVentures.com, or you can go to at Brandon M. Dawson, at Brandon M. Dawson. And between those two, you'll be able to get all of me you care to get. What about me? You're up. What's mine? At Natalie Workman. There it is. There you go. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. Yeah. And uh, someday we'll be together and have margaritas in Baja. Sounds good. Wait. Take care. All right. Thanks for having us on your thank show. Thank you. Bye, Tom. Bye-bye. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? I'm invested in your business and personal success. And I hope you found this episode of the podcast insightful. If you or your business is ready to grow, check out my website, 10 Excellence. This is the way that you do that. Number 10, then xlenz.com. Be sure to follow me and send questions on Facebook at Arrow and Marine Tax Professionals and on Twitter and YouTube at Thomas Alston. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on our next episode.